Welcome to the Bottle of Brown podcast. I am your host, Danny Paul. Joining me in the Bob Media Studios this episode is the Baron of Bourbon, the Regent of Rage, the King of Columbus, Leon Coventry, ladies and gentlemen. Danny, happy Thursday to you, sir. Happy Thursday. I just feel like we're in a rhythm again. We're on schedule. Fucking things are humming along. And I'll be out next week, so... So I'm going to fuck all that up. <laughs> you bitch. Well, I deserve another vacation. That's all I can tell you. Another one? No, you don't get enough vacations. That's that's just, that's crazy talk. Well, what, I, what, are, you, what are you doing this time? Because well, you just came back from let, Vegas, right? Well, let's just say, let's, what's the definition of a vacation? I think that a long weekend doesn't define a vacation, but it is a much needed break, which is what the Vegas trip was, right? For bowling. Well, but I mean, a vacation be, is to vacate. Yeah. Well, we're going to Tahoe for a week. And that will be nice. Okay. Taking uh, Triple B into the snow so she can enjoy the feel of winter before, which by the way, it's like 85 degrees here. I don't know what you guys are out there, but we're almost, we're almost at 90 already. <laughs> In the middle of February. They say it's going to be the hottest Super Bowl on record at 86 degrees. Yeah. It was really nice today. Yeah. But that's a dome, right? Can't they air condition that bitch? Yeah, but still. But still. I was watching a little bit of your your neck of the woods, though. That I think one of my top favorite golf tournaments of the year to watch, even for the non-golf fan, the Phoenix Open is waste management. Just a just a blast to watch. Yep. Yeah, Governor Douchey was down there and he was glad handing and oh, it's a great thing about our state. Like I that dude, if nothing else, is a blowhard showman. So I might miss him as a governor. He's he's entertaining. <laughs> I'll have to take your word for it. I couldn't pick Arizona's governor out of a lineup. He was um he's got a plain kind of haircut. He's got a kind of a weak, he's got a punchable face. Um he was Cold Stone or some kind of ice cream company CEO. And then he decided to run the state. And I, I seems to have done a pretty good job. Um, all things considered. I mean, nobody does a perfect job, so Take what you will, but I thought for what he did, eh. <laughs> so uh, Mr. Jones will probably not join us tonight. He's uh, given the Prince of Walnut Creek a bath. So he may pop in here and then, so we're not going to give him the uh, uh, law, a rightful introduction, but he may join us later on in the show. For now, um, what's your brown? What's tonight, my brown? <laughs> my brown. We've, <laughs> we've had this one before, and at this point, if I'm not Ma. at least on some repeats, then I would go broke because who could truly afford uh, a new bottle of bourbon every week? That would also mean I have a problem, but this is Baker seven. Again, I'm probably uh-huh. going to finish off this bottle tonight. Okay. 107 proof single barrel. Well done. If you find the reason I've decided to finish this one off is because I found a another bottle, but these are all very unique when you buy them. Uh, another round. bottle in Las Vegas. And it was, it was a good find. So it's got a big top. The top's bigger than the bottle. What's the deal with it? Uh, it's just marketing. I don't know what to tell you. It's just marketing. marketing, but it's, it's good. It's, it's a, you know, it's a $45 bottle of bourbon and it's, uh, it tastes closer to a 60 or $70 bottle if you get one. So mm. I recommend mm. it highly. Gets mm. the job done. Well done, sir. And what are you drinking uh, yeah. tonight, sir? Well, since we're talking about recycling, I'm back on the Belvoyer 
my French skosh. So yeah. we're rocking some French skosh. I'm, I'm almost out of this. Uh, this was leftover from my Around the Round World tour. And um, for those of you new to the Bottle of Brown podcast, you're a member of the Bobs. Welcome. Welcome. Uh, we have our brown bracket coming up. So we're talking about the big game. We're not going to call it the bowl, which is super, because that would be uh, awful. We don't care. It's going to be Sunday. And after that, we're going to jump right into our brown bracket. Now, last time, Leon, we did a brown bracket that was just bourbon. And mm-hmm. you're thinking that you're feeling a little saucy this time around. You want to expand. You still thinking that? Uh, yeah, I think it would be fun to expand the bracket now that we also have an additional person in the group Mm. you know maybe we have the left side of the bracket is bourbon and the right side of the bracket is scotch or whiskey or oh so bourbon bourbon and not bourbon what do you think bourbon and not bourbon that sounds fun okay all right I'm going to have to go buy some not bourbon, but that's well, the best gonna, part of the whole we're thing. We're going to make sure, because this could be interesting, because I'm still working through that book I told you about, Pappy Land, which I'm going to review in a future episode. Mm-hmm. We're probably going to have to make sure that we have a bracket that's just Kentucky bourbon, and mm-hmm. then maybe a bracket of other bourbons. What do you think? Oh, Could that be exciting? That would be very exciting, too. Only, only the land of Kentucky. Interesting fact, as I'm getting through this book, Julian Van Winkle, who's mm-hmm. grandson of the infamous Pappy, the one who made mm-hmm. the Pappy Van Winkle trademark. Him and his son Preston are the ones that bung every barrel and taste it before it gets bottled to make sure that it has that signature Pappy Van Winkle taste. Mm-hmm. They drink it on the rocks with a twist. With a twist of what? Uh, lemon, I believe. Hmm. And that's their thing. And when they ordered at the bar, sometimes the bartender will say, I don't know if I can serve it to you like that. That seems like sacrilege. And then they pop up and they go, well, it's the way my grandfather, Pappy, always drank it. It's the way my dad drank it. It's the way I drank it. By the way, I'm Preston Van Winkle. And so it seems to get an interesting reaction because the guys that made the damn stuff, that's how they drink it, on the rocks with a twist. <laughs> hey, neat, I huh? told you this. Yeah, I told you the story about uh, a buddy of mine that was there in uh, Ireland. And he asked the bartender there uh, for a uh, Jameson and ginger. And the bartender in Ireland was like, Jameson. And he's like, yeah, and ginger ale. He's like, Jameson or get the fuck out of my bar. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not mixing Jameson, you sacrilege piece of shit. House rules, shit serious. Yeah, he took it very seriously. Like, okay, Jameson, it isn't. <laughs> so I think, uh, you know, depending where you're at, you could certainly insult the booze. Yep. By- yep. For real. Well, now that we talked about Brown, let's uh, talk about Brown. How you doing? Whiskey and whiskey. This is the darkest Brown you got. Yeah. Say, Holmes, uh, where they hiding the scotch? What about, um, brown? That's code for bourbon. Great stuff, this bourbon. Comes from a land called Kentucky. Talk about brown. There's a special rung in hell reserved for people who waste good scotch. Scotch? 
Oh, yes, I, I think so. Can I have one more of these with some booze in it, please? Tonight's Talk About Brown comes to us from Reuters. Legit news source. Cocktails and hazmat suits mingle in the Beijing Olympics bubble. This one comes to us from Zhang Jiaco. I'm sure I nailed that. A bartender in the Chinese ski resort of Zhang Jiaco wears a blue and white hazmat suit as he pours a cocktail before passing the drink to a similarly attired waiter who shuffles across the room in blue plastic booties to deliver the drink. The bar guests at the Nanshali Condotel on Wednesday evening, most of them Olympics-related personnel and journalists, could see only a sliver of their server's face behind white masks and giant plastic face shields. The scene, which some participants have likened to dystopian fiction, is playing out around Olympics venues in the capital and Zhangjiaku in neighboring Hebei province as Chinese officials try to minimize the chances of the Beijing Winter Games sparking a fresh coronavirus outbreak. A gigantic closed loop entirely separates the thousands of international athletes, officials, and journalists arriving for the start of the Games on Friday from the general public. At the hotel bar on Wednesday night, the full personnel protective equipment, PPE, worn by servers, made soft swishing noises as they walked between tables while French rap played over the speakers. One server told Reuters Reuters they felt the suits provided additional protection as they interacted with foreign guests. You see that? You see the full bunny suit? Yeah, it definitely looks like a full hazmat. Ridiculous. Who would drink anything? Who would drink anything from anyone dressed like that? Immediately, I'd be like, uh, no, absolutely not. That's ridiculous. Yeah, full full face shields and everything. Uh, latex gloves. Looks like everything's duct taped up. Yeah, that's for real. That is that is airtight, as they say. Ooh. Oh, Goodness my gosh. Do you remember? Do you remember? That drink looks good. It wasn't that long ago. And I may be saying something that's just outrageous. and Outrageous. I, I, don't, I don't mean to be politically charged here, but I do have to say. Do you remember the way to prevent COVID was washing your hands? Just wash your hands. Just wash your hands. You go and wash your hands. Wash your hands again. Wash your hands. You'll be safe if you wash your hands. And look, look at us now. We're going to look back on this like 10 years ago, from now and go, what the fuck were we thinking? I don't think that's politically charged. I think 10 years from now, <laughs> we'll look back and we'll go, yeah, fuck. Well, <laughs> <laughs> lots of people died. Very sad. Yeah. Don't do that again. And I think that's kind of how we'll look at it. Or, you know, maybe, maybe people will choose to forget it. But I'm sure you're looking back at the Spanish flu now and you're like, what were they thinking? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Shit is what it is. A room service order of a club sandwich and fries came wrapped in plastic and delivered by a worker, again, in full PPE. Hallways and lobbies of venues and hotels are constantly sprayed with disinfectant, give the air a distinct smell of Lysol. Most days at the media center, workers in PPE emblazoned with the colorful Olympic rings spray down floors and a robot sprays disinfectant into the air. China has maintained a zero COVID strategy throughout the global pandemic, aggressively isolating and tracing coronavirus cases to keep its official exposure low. Mainland China has reported 106,000 infections and 4,600 coronavirus-related deaths since the onset of the pandemic. Now, Yeah, thank you. (laughs) I don't even need to say it. (laughs) That is the biggest load of bullshit ever. I got some swampland. I could sell you real cheap too. Oh fuck! Thanks, China. Take a take a bridge too. 
Olympics organizers said on Wednesday they had recorded 32 COVID cases in the previous 24 hours, 15 of them new airport arrivals. Brian McCloskey, chair of the Beijing 2022 Medical Expert Panel, said he expected the daily number to drop once the number of participants arriving begins to decrease. The closed loop will allow the athletes, coaches, and other officials to shuttle between accommodation and Olympic venues on official transport, but they are not allowed out to move freely in public. Everyone in the closed loop, which includes the 4,500 athletes who have been arrived so far, uh, for the February 4th to 20th games and 20,000 local volunteers are subject to daily PCR tests. Officials conducted 67,000 tests alone on Wednesday. I mean, they invented it. Why don't they just give them the cure? I don't understand why they have to go through all this. No, too soon, too soon. I, I think I, China tried to cover it up. Surprise, surprise. Now they're, le- they're leaking faulty stats. Surprise, surprise. And now they're doing this security theater, which... Yeah, it's just fucking apologize to the world. Yeah, let's let's just all move on. Yeah, it's a black eye, and let's just move on. It's done. Shame on you. Yeah, I mean, it's all obviously a lot more serious than that. A lot of a lot of really, we've lost a lot of good people in the last two years over this. So I'm not trying to make light of it because it's not light, but at the same time, you nailed it. Security theater. Like, who is fooled into thinking this is going to prevent anything? Not me. Yeah. That's Brown. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's get into business news. And I got news for you. Today's business news comes to us from Travel and Leisure. United Airlines flight diverted after passengers tried to upgrade themselves to business class. Well, haven't we all? The article begins, United Airlines flight heading to Israel was forced to turn around mid-flight after a pair of passengers tried to upgrade themselves to empty business class seats. United Flight 90 which departed Newark Liberty Airport just after 11 p.m. on Thursday bound for Tel Aviv, was forced to turn around near the border of Maine and the Canadian province of New Brunswick due to disruptive passengers on board. The flight arrived back in Newark just under three hours later. Issues arose when the unruly passengers allegedly helped themselves to a pair of unused business class seats on the half-full flight and then refused to prove they had tickets for the seats, sparking a heated argument. After returning to Newark, the flight was canceled. A spokesperson for United confirmed travel and leisure on Monday. In total, there were 123 passengers and 11 crew on board the Boeing 787. Our team at New York, Newark, have provided our customers with meal vouchers and hotel accommodation and have made arrangements for customers to complete their journeys, spokesperson told TNL. The unruly passengers were not charged as a result of the incident, a spokesperson from the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey told CNN. This is the latest incident in which unruly passengers have forced a pilot to take drastic action. Last year, thousands of incidents of unruly passengers were reported to the Federal Aviation Administration, many concerning people who refused to comply with the federally transportation mask mandate, uh, which has been extended until March 18. In December, Transportation Security Administration said the agency would revoke membership to its TSA pre-check program for anyone fined by the FAA for bad 
behavior. Leon, what the fuck? There's a lot of things going on on this one. Uh, one, I want to say airlines need to do better about the upgrades when first class, business class, economy, whatever's open. There is other issues at hand, everyone out there, uh, for the science of flight. You can't just simply, if a plane is half empty or less, put everybody in the front of the plane. There's a thing called weight and balance. It doesn't work. You can't do that. You actually have to have people fairly spread out in the aircraft. Now, they are using the cargo down below to help out with that weight and balance and everything. And But at the end of the day, this, just like I think we've talked about in the past sporting events, you know, if, why do you have people one row from the ceiling sitting up there when you have an entire area right around like hockey, you know, big, I'm a big blue jackets fan. Uh, yep. That's right out there. If you're not a hockey fan, which most of you aren't. <laughs> and if you are, you're probably never heard of or could even identify what a blue jacket uniform looks it's like. It's the only pro sport in Columbus. Come on. That's right. It's no, not they true. They have a soccer though. team. They have, they have the crew. Team. They have the Columbus yeah. crew. Thank you very much. One of the best teams in, in Columbus. Uh-huh. Very funny asshole. <laughs> actually, the actually, the crew a pretty has good win dude. championships. Yeah, a couple, they're so. actually a winner. So, yeah. you yeah. know, you can hey, uh, dig yourself careful. out of that hole. I like careful. the football. Yeah. No uh, hands. But, it's no big deal. But why not? You know, hey, after the first period or the first quarter or the thir- first three innings, start bringing people down and say, let's fill in some of these gaps because this is ridiculous. Same thing in an airplane. Like, hey, let's especially, you know, walk walk the aisles and go, look at this poor sap next to fatties and can't even, you know, he's getting crushed up against the window, which, by the way, I don't know if you've been on one of those flights recently where you got the quote unquote window seat. It's really not the window. You're like one of those poor assholes that are actually in the window seat, but you you you're no in the gap of the yep. windows. <laughs> you don't actually have a I've window. I've actually been saved from a fat passenger on a Southwest flight, and the and the flight attendant came up to me later and went, "You're welcome." And I was like, "Yeah, can I keep you?" Yeah. They're doing God's work. Those people. A are. United flight like that, where a guy sat down who was probably 400 pounds. And I'm yeah. like, and I'm the baloney between this sandwich right now. And it was <laughs> a terrible takeoff. That's right. Do the right thing. That's all I can say. Go and save those people and move them up. So with that being said, 100% on board. What's interesting, though, about, uh, and I, I, I may be branching off a little bit here, but this actually stems into recent in the news as well, is that the airlines are asking the, uh, I guess it would be the TSA or maybe Homeland Security, probably Homeland Security. I would say Homeland Security now that I think about it. To anybody who's being unruly on these flights, to put them on a no-fly list forever, and we can yeah, have that them. debate for the next four or five minutes. And is that I would love the to, mask thing. That's the mask. I would thing love to have like, that debate it? on. Okay, no, it's just listen. you're in a you're in a traveling tube, five hundred miles an hour, five miles up in the air. To just fucking deal with it. The flight attendant's oh. in charge. Listen, people are irritated, including the crew. Everybody yes. is on not, edge. Not, not discounting that. Yeah, they're all on edge. And everyone is really shitty to each other. The gate agents that are in the mask, 
the walking they, through they the were security, shitty all those people. Yeah, they were shitty before the pandemic. Like this is way worse. <laughs> this is like the DMV or the BMVs. Like you're 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 in a shitty situation, and then they're like, "Hey, let's let's put a piece of piece of cloth on your face, and you're gonna breathe your own air even more over and over and over and over." I love Lewis Black's sketch on talking about flying to Australia, and he's like, "If you've never flown there before, I recommend you take a bag." And breathe your own air over and over and over for the next 10 hours. And when you land, I don't care if we were on Antarctica. I would have got out of the airplane and said, this is the most beautiful fucking place I've ever been. <laughs> because it sucks to fly. It's su- I mean, did he also I do the finger like guns? It. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Okay, okay good. And I will, you know, he's <laughs> crazy understand about that. Why I have to wipe yeah. more than one. <laughs> if if the Australians want to be part of our world, I suggest they <laughs> jump off and push it closer. Um, but at the end of the day, I think you take an unpleasant experience in a claustrophobic environment, which is already an agitator, and then you're like, but also put this thing on your face and make yourself even more claustrophobic in you know, 40% of the people on there feel like this is completely unnecessary and ridiculous. You're even adding more to that. Now, I don't care what side you're on. It's true. That's what people feel. So now you have this ridiculous ticking time bomb. (laughs) And of course, people are going to lose their minds. Everybody is stressed and pissed. And oh, by the way, flights are getting canceled. Think about it. Think about how many flights are getting canceled. Why? Because pilots can't fly with COVID. Everyone's had COVID for the last. So, you know, they're rescheduling whatever you're going to your wedding, your meeting, your house, whatever you were going to do. Everything's getting fucked up. And then they say, go into this can and play nice with each other. And oh, by the way, we can't serve you drinks anymore because that's dangerous. We can't give you food. Not that they ever did before this. All these things are happening at the same time. It's just too much. I am a little bit empathetic and I say a little bit still be an adult. Don't throw tantrums. I'm a little empathetic to the additional agitation that's been happening on these. And when I get to my uh, loathes later on, I think a lot of it has to do with uh, the repairs that we have to do. But I think in general, we've lost a lot of empathy for what's going on. People aren't naturally angry, pissed off, and nasty to each other. What's happened to us over the last three or four years, some are. You know, there's assholes out there. They're just professional assholes. But I think in general, we know how to act on these things, but you're just injecting hate and frustration before you even get on this situation. And it just gets worse and worse and worse and worse. So... It just seems shitty that 121 people got the shaft because they wouldn't let two yahoos sit in business class. It's just, I just, that, that part bothers me. The, uh, don't pick a fight with the flight attendant. Absolutely. Don't get hammered on the plane. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Like there are some pretty easy ones to draw a line on, but you got a bunch of empty seats. You know, it's not like you having a hard time keeping track of eight different chairs. You know, which ones aren't there. So don't give them the free shit. Right. But let them let them stretch their shit out. Why do you got to inconvenience everyone else on the flight? I, I get there's a principal point here, and we've seen this too in international flights of 
I saw a video of a Chinese woman who just is like, I'm going to go sit in first class. She got kicked off. She went back into business or coach and, and not 20 minutes later, she's back there up in first class again. And, um, there's just shitholes that just feel that there's an entitlement. There's like, I don't care. What are they going to do? I don't know. Maybe it's a, don't want to give the president. I bet you there's a so significant percentage of pers- people on every flight that have a frequent flyer account and you know what their status is and you ought to be able to stack rank them such that if there is an empty seat, you automatically upgrade them no matter what. Mm-hmm. All day. It's good. All, all day long. All day long. All day. They handled the situation poorly. There's a lot of different ways you could say, look, I'm sorry. I can't do it. Why don't you come to the back? I'll tell you what, I'll buy you a free drink. There or you something. go. Do something. There, there is no customer service. There's no de-escalation training. It's just fuck you and fuck everybody else on this airplane. And yeah, we're gonna land policy it. or Pretty blame much. the FAA. It's like, well, that's easy for you. So it was poor, it's poor handling by the crew. Um, poor on the people for basically creating the incident in the first place. And I hope they don't fly again now. Yeah. So yeah. We didn't Truthfully. get to hear from these two individuals, but for me, I don't need anything. I just want to chair this more comfortable. That's it. <laughs> yeah. And I, just, I want a chair. I want a chair that I can put my feet up or my back back. I said, that's all I want is the chairs. If you want to take the chair and bring it back to coach, totally cool. I get it. So if you want to do the weight distribution, just give me the chair. I'll take the chair back to coach. But you know, there you get free movies and you get free booze and you get better food. I, I don't care. None of that matters to me. Mm-hmm. No, this one, this one struck a particular chord with me. Anyway. That wraps up business news. Let's get to the crank file. I could look for something in the crank file. Crank file. Whatever. I grabbed this one off a of Substack. Uh, not easy to find, but something that really, really just captured my imagination. And I'm glad you're on this one, Jones, because you're a foodie. Um, apparently, Worcestershire sauce has broken <laughs> wide open in Mexico City, and they call it salsa inglesa which is English sauce. Well, so, I prefer calling it that because I can pronounce that. Worcestershire sauce <laughs> Worcestershire has, has become a thing. Uh, English sauce is a thing in Mexico, and I couldn't be happier. That's funny. Sit down to eat at a restaurant in Mexico City, and you'll find a recurrent topography. There are your freshly made salsas, maybe some lime wedges, raw onions, something pickled, often a few bottled sauces, a family that includes El Yucateco, Valentina, Maggi, and a dark little dropper bottle filled with a sweet and sour brown sauce. This small bottle is among the most common sauces used in the kitchen in preparations like Petrolio, a jet black concoction that is added to beers to make refreshing micheladas and clamados, more on these later, as well as cubanas. It's also used for dishes like aguachiles negros, which is a delicious plate of raw seafood pooling in chili lime water with cucumbers, red onions, and other things, and good enough for a crippling hangover. It's a favorite for topping raw clams and marinating grilled beef. Most bizarrely of all, people love to drench their pizza in it. This condiment is known as salsa inglesa, or English sauce. And if it tastes very much like Worcestershire sauce, well, guess what? It is. I was familiar with salsa inglesa before living in Mexico, but it's got the same name all over Latin America. But I had never seen it as prominently as I have here, cropping up in what I would consider unlikely settings and unlikely recipes. It struck me as an interesting anomaly, a brown British condiment holding its own in the land of colorful salsas. Yet it doesn't feel like an intruder, more like a fully integrated expat. What do you guys think? What are they putting it on? Apparently everything. 
I put that this shit on me. everything. Seafood. I, I guess I put hot sauce on drinks. So I mean, so well, what do you normally to put, take it? What do you normally put horseradish or Worcestershire sauce in? Bloody Marys. No, I use it in everything. Um, if you're making any kind of like barbecue sauce or anything you want a smoky or flavor to it. I mean, it's mm -hmm. used in every kind of marinade that I use. It's, but I marinate with it. I make, I do make sauces with it in the sense of like a pulled pork sauce or, you know, like a South Carolina and, you know, barbecue or something. Um, I, it is a fantastic sauce. I don't even know how you make it. I don't even want to. I think they've pretty much, uh, don't mess with perfection in my book. Yeah, I mean, it's basically horseradish sauce. There's nothing particularly special about it. It's uh, awesome. They it's do, good stuff. They, they make micheladas with it. Micheladas are really good. Uh, right from the start, the sauce's story is packed with mystery and tight corners. In the early 1800s, a fellow named Lord Sandus asked two chemists in Worcester, that's Worcester, for those of you reading it, but if you're from the middle of Massachusetts, it's Worcester, John Lee and William Perrins. They prepared a recipe based on a fish sauce he had tasted while serving in Bengal during the British Raj. They failed to deliver a satisfactory result, so the sauce was discarded and left to rot in a basement. Ding, ding, ding. The chemists retrieved it after a while and tried again. The aging process had added a long, puckering savoriness and mellowed down the funky fish, giving it a pleasant taste. Who is the originator? Who knows? But that's how the first official Worcestershire sauce was born, even if, like all good stories, it's probably not true. What do you think, Mr. Jones? Based on a Indian inspiration. Oh yeah, you got to get all the spice out of India. Um, that's because awesome. The British, the British don't do spice, so all the spice in Britain <laughs> is Indian. They, they import it all. <laughs> they are the bland food. Uh, it but, is a staple of uh, British cuisine. Uh, it seems that the enigmatic nature of the recipe accompanied the induction of the sauce into Mexican culture. Uh, local brands, Franco. Uh, Coyacan on the outskirts of Mexico City. It's Oviedo. I've I've seen Oviedo, uh, but that's interesting. It's it's a it's a British sauce, a cuisine not known for being flavorful. Apologies to British listeners, but let's be honest. And it ends up in Mexico, which is a cuisine known for very flavorful food. I found this fascinating. I think it's very odd because it doesn't seem to fit the flavor profile of how, what we associate with Mexican food. But what True. I will tell you is it's not fair to say Mexican food. It's like American food. Is American food pizza? I guess. But are you talking about Chicago pizza or New York pizza? Are you talking about <laughs> barbecue? Napoleon? Are you talking about ribs from St. Louis? Are you talking about ribs from... Because it's not... We are a big country and so is Mexico. And a lot of times we just associate with Mexican food. What are you talking about tacos and quesadillas and you know tortillas obviously and salsa That's fair. go to mexico south, city south mexico to, and yucatan are very spicy compared to uh, mexico city so that's fair that's, yeah that's and it's usually in hot areas it's usually really spicy food like thailand's yeah. like that but you know you go to like places like jalisco mexico mexico and it's very much uh i mean i would even uh, attribute to like the ohio of mexico where it's down home cooking it's like pot roast type meat it's a lot of meat you know it's not a lot of spice so it's it's not fair to say that it's mexican food i i'm a little embarrassed that i'm i was shocked to hear that they use worcestershire sauce because it just doesn't seem to fit the the stereotypical flavor profile the lemon lime tomato citrus onion uh type flavors that you typically get out of Mexico. 
uh, or at least the Mexico that we try to pretend that it is, you know, <laughs> Americans, we like to, we like to say, I made this thing and it, it seems like it's from Mexico. So it's Mexican food. Yeah. And this, this is Olive Garden. This is Italian food. And that's what we do. To it. It's not <laughs> at American all. foods at Applebee's. Yeah. It's Americanized uh, and labeled, but completely wrong on what actual uh, the people of the country eat. But hey, Worcestershire sauce. Amazing. Favorite thing to put it in? A huge fan of Welsh rarebit. What? Welsh rarebit. Have you ever had that? It's it's like a it's like a spicy liquid cheese that you put on things. Oh, yeah, I don't eat cheese. It's not, it's not spicy rabbit. like hot spicy. It's rarebit is how you pronounce it. It's not. Rarebit. It looks like rabbit. Okay. And actually, Stouffer sells it if you ever want to try it and not make it yourself. Uh, it's not bad, but yeah, it's really good on just about everything. And uh, give it a try. Just if if you want to go real lazy on dinner one night. Go buy a, a loaf of Wonder Bread and a Stouffer's Welsh Rarebit, and uh, you won't be disappointed, but you'll feel bad about your waistline the next day because oh, you probably carb-loaded like crazy. So there is salsa inglesa, then there's also salsa inglesita. For those of you not familiar with the Spanish language, if you had an ita at the end, it just means small. So think of spago like rope and spaghetti, little rope. Inglesita. Flavor-wise, so inglesita. Margarita. I don't know if there's a margara, though. I don't know if that applies. Uh, Flavor-wise, Inglesita is a delight. It's tangy and mildly sweet and not overly salty. It tastes of tamarind, black pepper, cinnamon, and clove with a hefty vinegar base. Mm. Made by two brothers, David and Sergio Camarena, who encouraged me to try making my own, but when asked about the recipe, revealed only what was already listed on the label. 19 ingredients, including vinegar, cardamom, three types of peppercorn, piloncillo, uh, cooked down sugarcane syrup to pr- replace molasses, ginger, and white mustard. So it's, again, to Leon's point, Mexican food is not Mexican food. It's where in Mexico are you? Mm-hmm. But I love the idea that it's been co-opted and it is now English sauce. Celebration, bitches. That wraps <laughs> up the crank file. Let's get on to Because Florida. Because Today's Because Florida comes to us from the Associated Press. So you know it's true. Of course, yeah. Associated Press. One's dated January 30th, 2022. Brr. It got so cold in Florida, iguanas fell from the trees. That's right, folks. Raining iguanas in St. Petersburg, Florida. (laughs) Shit is real. A cold snap in Florida is different than other places. We put on heavy coats when it's 50 degrees outside. No blizzard conditions here in the Sunshine State, but we have our issues as well when the thermometer drops. National Weather Service said Sunday it's all going to warm up nicely after the weekend. The low temperatures near freezing are quite rare in Florida, but at first glance, the citrus, strawberry, and tomato winter crops suffered no major damage. Farmers spray water on the crops to help protect them from the cold. As for iguanas, well, that's another matter. They are an invasive species, well accustomed to the trees of South Florida. When it gets cold, below 40 degrees Fahrenheit, they go into a sort of suspended animation mode, and they fall to the ground. But they usually wake up. It got so cold in Florida this weekend, the National Weather Service reported that West Palm Beach hit 37 degrees Fahrenheit, the 
coldest morning of the past 12 years. Up the East Coast in Vero Beach, the record low was 30, set in 1978, or tied with a record from 78. Still, it's not like a whiteout. The Gasparilla Pirate Parade in Tampa, which was not held last year because of the coronavirus pandemic, went off without a hitch Saturday in sunny but chilly weather. Thousands of people did piratey things, snagged beads from the parade route, and generally ate, drank, and were merry. Yet the unseasonably cold weather in Florida prompted one church on the Gulf of Mexico side of the state to rethink how it would welcome parishioners and visitors. Uh, masses have been held under a tent. Saturday's wind dislodged one of the support posts and rendered the temporary structure unsafe. It'll be beach weather again in Florida soon, folks. Guys, imagine that. It gets so cold that the iguanas freeze. And then who would want to be there before when this they fall from sky? Well, yeah, this has happened before, hasn't it? Yeah, when I was you know, in school in Daytona, it actually it snowed on us one year, which was, you know, mind was blown. Pigs were flying, but it gets cold. It gets pretty. I mean, I think Florida gets more cold weather than Southern California does, in all honesty. Probably. But uh, uh, it, it is actually really funny. I mean, they're warm blooded. That's some kind of Eastern right? thing. Yeah, I think there's just nothing to block cold weather from getting down there, right? There's there's all these Rockies and everything in the way in California that prevent, you know, huge weather patterns from taking over the state. But down there, there's no, there's nothing in the way. It just, if it's cold in, you know, you've seen the ice storms in Tennessee, North Carolina, Georgia, Northern Georgia, all that happens. Atlanta has been completely shut down by ice storms. Yep, Atlanta's not that. that far from Daytona. <laughs> It's not. So if the weather's pushing hard enough from the north to the south, it's going to get down there and get them. So it's not that unusual, but having iguanas just fall frozen with this frozen white head. Look at this one. Like, um, do, do, do they die? I wonder. Like, they're not dead. They're just like, no, it just yeah. says frozen animation. So they just, you know, because they're cold blooded. So they just go, all right, it's cold. And then, mm. yeah, the distance between Daytona and Atlanta is like, basically san francisco to los angeles like right. it's not that big of a deal it's really not that far at all as cold weather goes anyway with literally no mountain range or any geographic yeah. thing in the way so yeah, when you really do have a good a good weather pattern traveling through there it, it, it'll not it'll get there so but, the links uh, will be in the show notes i oh, here's one they just they freeze and they hang out on a branch. So this is 13 of 13 and the image is available in the link. All the links will be in the show notes for those of you following along at home. Uh, quite a sight to see Florida under what, heavy icicles like this. Right? Like the iguana's like, I'm having a good day. It's kind of cold. It's kind of cold. And they, do they just like black out? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm, then like I'm, it gets warm again. They're like, hey. I mean, I've never happened? been an iguana, but a suspended animation is pretty much a pause button, right? It's pretty cool, actually. That wraps up Florida. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's get on to parenting. We can make kids right now. That's why we're here. It's not the years, it's the mileage. Today's parenting comes to us from MIT Technology Review. We are going deep, Bobs. Buckle up. This one is titled, This Group of Tech Firms Just Signed Up to a Safer Metaverse. But it's going to be harder than it seems, and there are some glaring missing names. Um, time out. The Metaverse, uh, which I think is bullshit, 
But let's be fair. The metaverse is a thing. There is an enormous amount of money being pumped into this thing. There is real estate going back and forth. Some of the luxury brands have gotten involved. McDonald's has gotten involved. It is a thing whether we want it to be or not. And whether it is a flaming pile of dog shit going down in failure has yet to be seen. But it could have some legs. The challenge with this, of course, is because it is a virtual environment a la Second Life, or for those of you that have read one of the best books ever written, Ready Player One. Ready Player this One. This is a virtual yeah. environment for you to enter. And I'm sure anybody under the age of 35 knows exactly what I'm talking about. So for those of you Bobs that are getting up there with us and you don't get it, it's okay. It gets better. We're all pissed off. We're going towards Ready Player One, and we haven't even had the flying cars from uh, Back to the Future yet. Just the hoverboard. I feel like we're getting robbed. And the hoverboard's not even a hoverboard. It's horseshit. Well, Ready Player One is a dystopian novel about the end of the world. So I, I'm, this, this is not good news for me. Yeah, fair enough. Good point. <clears throat> anyway, here's the problem. Um, you said something earlier, Leon, that made me laugh, but um, there are people getting groped on this thing. There are a number of awful things happening in virtual reality because there's really nothing you can do about it. Uh, so this article seeks to try and address that somewhat. The internet can feel like a bottomless pit of the worst aspects of humanity. That's it. Good night. Thank you, folks. <laughs> yeah. Well, the article, the article goes no on. consequences. You take down any consequences. Like you could be whatever you want to be. Or say whatever no, you want to say. Say whatever you want to say. No consequences. Mm -hmm. Go. What do you think is going to fucking happen? <clears throat> What Absolutely. is going to happen? Who's surprised by this? Go ahead. Well, sorry. The article continues. So far, there's little indication that the metaverse, an envisioned virtual digital world where we work, play, and live, will be much better. Uh, a beta tester in Meta's virtual social platform, Horizon Worlds, has already complained of being groped. Tiffany Wang feels she has a solution. In August 2020, more than a year before Facebook announced it would change its name to Meta and shift its focus from its flagship social media platform to plans for its own metaverse, Wang launched the nonprofit Oasis Consortium. Ding, 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 ding. A group of game firms and online companies that envisions an ethical internet where future generations trust they can interact, co-create, and exist free from online hate and toxicity. Uh, another point where we can probably stop. Let's hope this works. Hal, Wang thinks that Oasis can ensure a safer, better metaverse by helping tech companies self-regulate. Earlier this month, Oasis released its user safety standards, a set of guidelines that include hiring a trust and safety officer, employing content moderation, and integrating the latest research in fighting toxicity. Companies that join the consortium pledge to work towards these goals. Uh, I want to give the web and metaverse a new option, says Wang, who has spent the past 15 years working in AI and content moderation. If the metaverse is going to survive, it has to have safety in it. She's right. The technology's success is tied to its ability to ensure that users don't get hurt. But can we really trust that Silicon Valley's companies will be able to regulate themselves in the metaverse? A blueprint for a safer metaverse. The companies that have signed on to the Oasis thus far, including game platform Roblox, dating company Grindr, video game giant Riot Games, among others, between them, they have hundreds of millions of users, many of whom are already actively using virtual spaces. Notably, however, Wang hasn't yet talked to Meta. 
arguably the biggest player in the future metaverse. Her strategy is to approach big tech when they see the meaningful changes we're making at the forefront of the movement. MetaPoint admitted two documents when asked about its plans for safety in the metaverse, a press release detailing partnerships with groups and individuals for, quote, building the metaverse responsibly, unquote, and a blog post about keeping VR spaces safe. Both were written by the same guy, Meta CTO Andrew Boswell. So let me let me go on a little bit. We have a couple more minutes left in the segment. Let's go on. So balancing privacy and safety. Despite the lack of concrete details, experts that the author spoke to think the consortium standards document is a good first step. It's a good thing that Oasis is looking at self-regulation, starting with the people who know the systems and their limitations. It's not the first time tech companies have worked together in this way. In 2017, some agreed to exchange information freely with the Global Internet Forum to combat terrorism. So today, GIFCT remains independent. Companies that sign on self-regulate. Lucy Sparrow, researcher at the School of Computing and Information Systems at the University of Melbourne, says that what's going for Oasis is that it offers companies something to work with rather than waiting for them to come up with the language themselves or wait for a third party to do the work. Uh, Ethical design is not enough. She suggests that tech companies retool their terms of service, which have been criticized heavily for taking advantage of consumers without legal expertise. Yeah, that's a whole problem in itself. Uh, Better content moderation by humans could stop harassment at the source, yet Heller isn't clear on how Oasis plans to standardize content moderation, especially between a text-based medium and one that is more virtual, and moderating in the metaverse will come with its own set of challenges. The AI-based content moderation in social media feeds that catches hate speech is primarily text-based. Content moderation in VR will need to primarily track and monitor behavior, and current XR, virtual and augmented reality, reporting mechanisms are janky at best and often ineffective. It can't be automated by AI at this point, which puts the burden of reporting abuse on the user, as the meta-groping victim experienced. Audio and video are often also not recorded, making it harder to establish proof of an assault, Even among those platforms recording audio, Heller says most retain only snippets, making context difficult, if not impossible, to understand. Um, So there is absolutely an opening here for verbal assault. There is absolutely an opening here for vulgarity, lewd, lascivious behavior, public exposure, albeit digital. Um, Yeah, there's opportunities for horrible people to be horrible. And you could be emotionally scarred by an experience that you accidentally come upon. But I I would draw the line on, you can always take the headset off. Yeah, but the problem is, is that the exposures to people who don't know how to take the headset off. I mean, that's, you're trying to protect people that are either younger of age. I mean, this is the parenting. So it's like... You got your That's eight-year-old or something like that. That's segment, Jones. So, yeah, I mean, the, let's, the idea let's of, bring it back to, like, what's important about this. Like, let's talk about you're trying to put boundaries for children that leaves them in a safe haven environment, and yet, you know, where technology and quote-unquote purchase of technology is going these days is to go to this metaverse structure whereby the boundaries are unlimited um, because you can't track it's verbal or it's visual, you know, conduct. It's basically happening inside this world that the child is in. I mean, it's hard enough just to, you know, from what I hear, pull your kid away from his iPad or her iPad to make sure they're not going to different sites and so forth. Um, The world has changed around us so much in technology, and this is moving very, very fast because there's been a lot of consolidation in this sector in the last month 
in the last month, this sector has consolidated tremendously with, you know, Microsoft's purchase of uh, Activision, uh, Bungie being purchased by, who was Sony? it? It was Sony. Sony purchased Bungie and we're talking billions and billions of dollars here. So trying to find boundaries for children inside this just seems very difficult. Yeah. Um, versus yeah, the just irony saying, is the metaverse no. is already there in games and in games they kill each other. So what are we talking it, about here? Yeah. So it's like, what is what we're really asking here is that, you know, when do you start playing Call of Duty with your kids? I don't know. Is that where, or what are we talking about with uh, Fortnite? Or what are we talking about with, yeah, I mean, to, even, to protect even if them, we go back, even we go back to the smaller world where it's not necessarily as depth, but what about playing farmland in your farm animals die? Like, I mean, these are all platforms yeah. that are allowed children to basically get access into something for entertainment i would uh, i would liken this to real world environments where if you don't expose your children to it you don't allow your children to be exposed to it as best you can you know they're going to go over to a friend's house and find a playboy for example or they're going to be yeah. exposed to bad stuff if an older sibling is watching tv or they might just run into it in the schoolyard or or if they're out and about town. I don't, I don't think you can fully protect your children from it. But the reason that I wanted to put this in the parenting segment is I think you're right. This is the next great frontier where kids are going to want to be. I have a nine-year-old who wants a phone and I know exactly what he wants the phone for. He wants apps. And so he's going to be embroiled in this metaverse. And as a responsible parent, it behooves us to know what they're getting into and what the potential boundaries are. That's exactly it. Because how much we don't, for, for, for my view of this is like how much I, I think this is a bunch of bullshit. Like, I mean, we're all just going to get more and more into our devices. And as we started earlier, our clickbait 10 word sentence that, you know, draws us in. This is becoming more and more prevalent. Um, and where it goes from here is kind of very interesting. Of why are these major companies doing these massive purchases, massive bets? Uh, I, I don't really know, uh, but it is very, very fascinating. And I know that Meta is, in this case, Facebook, is kind of leading the charge with where it wants to go. And we're going to probably see its Super Bowl ad, too. They'll probably have something Oh, absolutely. About it. Yeah. Uh, that wraps up parenting. Let's get on to Leon Lowe's. Uh, so far, Danny, I haven't heard a single logical reason. No, no, don't accept this. It's frustrating. And we haven't cured cancer. We have not cured cancer. I don't know the answer. I'm just ranting about it. Leon, what was yours? I'm always careful because I don't want to make anything about this show political. <laughs> I don't. I don't want to make it about politics because there's enough out there. And I don't want to be removed from any platform. But... With that being said, we have to address something about what's happening right now. And I've talked about it in the past, and I'm just at this point emphasizing. Everyone's heard about what's going on up in Canada right now, right? Oh, the Ottawa truckers? The truckers. Yeah, that's right? a thing. That's a thing. U.S. went through a similar thing. Uh, different cause, right? Through the BL BLM riots and everything that went on here. Uh, or they're talking protests. about something like that for the for the game on Sunday. And and maybe they do, right? Everyone's got a cause. Uh, 
I think where, where I have really been struggling lately is that leadership across the world, there is nobody that I can think of. And maybe the two of you can tell me somebody that I'm not aware of. We're lacking true leadership across the world in uniting people. What we've done is pick a side and ramrod that side as hard as you possibly can, no matter what. And that's what's been happening over the last 10 years and it's been escalating. My gripe, my loathe, my desperate plea is that somebody with the foresight to understand that what true leadership actually means is togetherness, is bringing people together with different ideas towards a common goal, as opposed to, I'm going to take my ideas and ramrod them down the rest of everybody's throat because that's what I was elected to do, which is what has become global politics. This isn't a U.S. statement. This is across the globe. Everybody's been doing it. My party elected me to do this, and I'm going to get you for it. And I, I can't think of many leaders out there right now that are realizing that there are differing opinions and you have to balance them and you have to bring people together towards a, a common, we all want to coexist, right? And every time I turn on the news or listen to a station or whoever the leader is that is out there talking to us from whatever country you pick it you pick the country it doesn't matter they are taking a certain line and they're ramrodding it down everybody's throats and show me where it's worked just show me where that's worked nowhere because people won't stand for that because not it's not possible to get a hundred people let alone millions of people to get on the same page. Uniters have to be the future leaders of the world. Wherever you are, please boil to the top <laughs> and give us a chance to try to repair what's happening. Because I do think, and you know that uh, we've talked about it a lot of times, Triple B and I are not always politically aligned. As a matter of fact, we're never politically aligned, but we're married and we're happy. Why? Because there is such a thing as common ground when you're talking to people respectfully. And we've lost it across the world. I don't care what side of the fence you're on. We got to figure this one out. We got to figure this one out. And I, it's not a passionate, angry loathe. It's a desperate, sad <laughs> loathe at this point because I'm watching it from a distance shred us. That's all I have to say from a political standpoint. I just want a uniter, whatever that looks like. 
Because I don't think it's political, Leon. I think you worry too much about being political. I think it's a pretty standard statement. <laughs> you think but it would be, but I don't tonight. hear that. I don't uh, hear that. A, a political argument is a easy go-to because tribalism is rampant and politics is simply the most tangible form of tribalism. But yeah, it's, it's us versus them and it's stupid uh, and it's a form of insecurity. And yeah, I, what are you going to do? In moments of great inequality, I think people want to win. And so whatever way they can, either they align with strong men, they pick a team they think has a chance of winning, or they believe in a conspiracy theory so that they will have the gotcha moment when the shoe finally falls. I, when periods of inequality show up like this, which happened during a pandemic, it was happening before with wealth inequality, political inequality. It's when people don't feel like they're getting a fair shake you're going to have moments like this in history. It is particularly bad. Uh, I don't think it's been this bad since times of war. And I guess depending on who you talk to, it is a war. Only it's not a war against humans. It's a war against ideas, perhaps. Jay, what do you think? I think it's very difficult right now because everyone has been posturing for so long. I think the fight is, I mean, you say 10 years. I mean, I think this shit's been going on for... 40 years it's been i mean and that's only because it's the only time i've been paying attention but there's been a struggle of trying to find some sense of equality and understanding here in this country but i mean it's all over the world because at the end of the day you give greedy people an inch they take a foot and you know you got problems in countries that are constantly the problems burma miramar Thailand. I mean, two of my favorite places. I mean, they're absolutely just completely riddled with problems right now. Time goes on and leadership changes and what's left over can sometimes be the wrong direction and create more rift. Um, and, you know, you have political geo reasons too that end up influencing different nations and it ends up creating some sense of destabilization, which some look at as an opportunity and others, you know, look at, you know, kind of, bad moments for most society unfair and in this country i think it's just very difficult to find some sense of common ground we've been asking for it for years and i think we're more further from it than ever before and i think this has to do with just basically leadership right now is just so distrusting and not fair and will we find it again i think you have to have a major action and we just came through a pandemic and we're more divided now than we were before. I don't know if the major action is a major war like we did in World War II. Sadly, it's usually maybe a war. that's it's usually, usually a physical a war. war. Yeah, a physical war where something, there's physical something tolls. that decimates the population. Something that really pulls the population down. Pandemic right now realistically didn't pull the population down as far as we you would that kind of magnitude, but this is me just philosophy looking at it as being, I don't see, I hear what you're trying to, you're asking for. I just don't see it happening for a long time unless we have some major trigger. Yeah. You know, like so it has yeah, to be a we major need, trigger. We need a black swan event. We need something to trigger it. Um, you were talking earlier about something that you had to deal with at work today, Leon. And I, I equate the problem to this and we probably could have covered it during business news, but when you've got a poor performer at work and they're not held accountable for their poor performance, mm -hmm. people start to lose faith in the boss and they start to lose faith in the system. 
So the second you have somebody that's not pulling their own weight or they're not following the rules, or they're not basically fulfilling their commitments. You know, when you accept a job, your commitment is to do what you're told and get paid for it. And if you're not doing what you're told or you're not doing what the group agreed on, then there's a natural expectation that there should be discipline or punishment. And if people are allowed to get in, um, you know, get away with not doing their commitment to the rest of the group, the group is going to start to lose faith in everything. And so I, I think that that equates very, very well. You're going to have to find somebody that's not doing what they're supposed to do and they need to be punished because they need to set an example for the rest and see that there is order. And I, and I see, I hear you say punish and it's a good word. You know, I, I will say when it's a great word, it's a great word. I will say when I am trying to, and this is a leadership 101, right? You're not, all you're trying to do is drive a behavior, right? When you set goals, when you set bonuses, when you set um, targets, you're trying to drive a certain behavior and essentially when it's not met, you try to rein it in. You use all kinds of special terms and techniques like coaching and write-ups and performance improvements plans and all these different things. You know, call it whatever you want to, but at the end of the day, you're trying to corral down the line of what everyone's, pointing in the same direction. And, you know, as we're talking about countries and specifically, really countries get most powerful when they're all pointing in the same direction, right? Mm. When you start to think about China, like, fuck, how many billion people pointed at us? The real question is, are they, right? Are they actually all in alignment? Because I actually know a few Chinese people and I'm people from China raised there and our outside perspective, our outside um, propaganda filtered view of what's going on in China isn't necessarily what's actually going on. Same thing for them, right? They see whatever we publish or we put on social media or what have Mm -hmm. you. I think at the end of the day though, when you have, a ton of people pointing the same direction with the same motive that is so powerful and scary. And it seems to only happen around wartime, right? You think about world war two, world war one, all these things we're all Hmm. pointed. Yep. Right. We're all going that direction. All these things like September 11th, us, we were, we were ready to fuck everyone up. It didn't matter who you were. They hurt us and we were ready to go get them. And we were so patriotic. We're not there now. I'm surprised the pandemic actually separated us. And we, I do think that we have our politicians to blame for it. They used it as leverage. Yeah. Yeah. And separated us when the better, more responsible thing would have been found a way to align us. You know, there's, there is no easy answer to the Joe Rogan scandal. There's no easy answer to the Dr. Fauci's 
you know, distrust. There is no easy answer one way or another because we've been conditioned to not like each other. I feel, I feel a little different than a lot of people I talk to because I am kind of straddling the line. You know, I, I know what's going on on both sides of political parties. I truly, I have the Fox app and the CNN app on my phone. I have, I listen to podcasts from both sides of the fence and I don't do it because I'm trying to figure out, I'm trying to gain an advantage. I need all the information I could get. Right. And I think if there's real responsible people out there, if you are, and I, this is a new term, right? Gaslighting was the term of 2020. I never heard the term gaslighting in my life. All of a sudden I had to like, look up the definition. They keep saying it. What does gaslighting mean? I had to look mm. it up. But now the, the new term that I keep hearing over, or at least I'm, I'm noticing more than anything is just forcing us down a road. I, I, I can't even think of the term now I'm, I'm blanking on it, but they're forcing us down a road of separation. And I, I feel most people that are around me and maybe it's just the circle I'm in. They're all kind of like, but I like that person and I like that person. And they, they don't always believe in everything I believe in, but I understand at least where they're coming from. You got to listen to every side. Just be informed. I've said it before in other podcasts. Just be informed. Listen to every side. Every side. There is no right team. There isn't. If you really listen to both three times, you know, three different groups. I, I'm jealous that was it London? How many how many different parties do they have in England? I wish we had that many. Uh, so lot, yeah. Six or eight, yeah. maybe. Yeah, we absolutely hate that need we, a third. At least three. I, I I hate that we have two. Yeah. I <laughs> hate that we have one. the duopoly as well. I've said that many, many times, but that's uh that's winner take all or winner take most. So you can be king of yeah. the ashes. And I don't, right. I don't just, see any benefit from that. Just realize that hey, people are, we're all still Americans. We're on the same team. We want to be good. We want to be strong. We want to take care of each other. We don't want anyone to be unfairly trampled on or not given opportunities. All of that is just across the board, but I feel like we're pitted against each other with policies and bullshit and, and whatever. And it's, I just, my main loathe is God, it would be amazing to have a leader come up and actually understand that this is the United States of America and Texas doesn't have the same beliefs that Maine does. It doesn't have the same beliefs that Hawaii does. It doesn't have the same beliefs that Seattle does. How could they? They have so many different issues. How can you possibly imagine that all those people are going to have the same concerns? They don't. But you, you just listen to them and listen to what they're going through and have a shred of empathy of what's going on. Maybe, maybe we can get out of this mess together. That's my loathe. Well done, Leon. That was a good one. 
Let's uh, let's close this one out with bottom of the bottle. This bitch is empty. Yeet! Uh, we're recording this on the 10th of February, which means by the next time you hear us, it'll be after Valentine's Day. So I got a couple of couple of uh, pieces of wisdom for you here that I thought was interesting. One is relevant. About one in 14 U.S. adults, approximately 7%, say that they've broken up with somebody on Valentine's Day. How many? 47? Uh, about one in 14. So about seven, 7% of people surveyed have broken up with somebody on Valentine's Day, the day of love. So they're cheap. Yeah. They got um, a bit easy. Yeah, I mean, that's what they say, right? They say break up with somebody right after Halloween and then make up again on the 15th. That's the ultimate cheapskates relationship model. Uh, more interesting, though, for the bottom of the bottle is this little factoid that I found. The FBI and CIA recruit heavily from the Mormon population because they get can out. get security clearance easily. They speak multiple <laughs> languages and they have a relatively low risk lifestyle. Why do you think the IRS is based in Utah? I did not know that. No, remember, remember the Mormons we used to hang out with in high school? They were awesome, but no drinking, no smoking. Uh, they played a lot of cards, but they're not allowed to drink coffee, I guess. There's, there's some, there's some tenets of the Mormon church that make them a very low risk lifestyle. Uh, so, of course, the FBI and the CIA are very interested in people that speak multiple languages, have a low risk profile, and get, can get security clearance easily. Fascinating. <laughs> ah, that's our show. You can email us at bottleofbrown.com or call us at 602-529-4562. Leave a message for Danny, Mr. Jones, or Leon. We'll play it on the air. Give us ideas for content. Refute anything we say on the show. If you like the show, please like, follow, subscribe, and share with a friend. We need more the merrier. Uh, by sharing and liking an episode or the show, it will show up in the algorithm and spread across all the platforms that we're on, whether it be Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. So share a drink with us the next episode. Same brown time, same brown channel. Bottleofbrown.com. This place is dead anyway, man. <laughs>